Good morning, everyone. How you doing? I'm excited to be here. How about you? All right. My name's Eric. I get to be the pastor here. I just want to say welcome. We're so glad that you are here. Whether you're back from college in Iowa, Lulu, good to see you. Uh, It's your first time here, or you've been coming for a long time. Man, we're so glad you are here. We know there's so many things you could do on a weekend, especially on a beautiful Sunday morning uh, like today where we actually have the sun shining. So everyone, let's welcome everyone who's going to watch later online because they're outside right now. So good morning. Give them a hand. Thanks for watching us online later. You're the real MVPs out there. Uh, thanks, everyone, for being here. But yeah, we are kicking off this brand new series today called Overcomer. Uh, are there any overcomers in the house today? Yeah, amen. Romans 8.37 teaches us that through the power of Christ, we are actually more than conquerors. Uh, so we're starting this four-part series about how overcoming some of the struggles that so often easily entangle us. Next week, we're going to be talking about overcoming apathy. Uh, in fact, people have said that like this generation is an apathetic generation, or that there is just an epidemic of apathy, and I promise next week uh, God's word's going to spark a passion in your hearts, we're going to talk about overcoming apathy, but today we're going to talk about overcoming the curse of comparison, the curse of comparison. Uh, chances are pretty good that at some point in your life, things were going really well, life was great, and then maybe you logged onto social media, onto Instagram or Facebook, or you looked around your neighbor and you're like, oh man... What I have isn't as great as I thought it was because you're starting to compare to what someone else has. And what we're learning is that the fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. The fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. Uh, Would you join me in a word of prayer? God, thank you again that you are here with us, that at your name we find freedom, at your name that we can be overcomers. I thank you that at the name of Jesus, we find hope. So God, just be with us here today in this place. Uh, God, whatever we, we brought in, let's look, just let it go. I thank you for your love and grace in all our lives. I pray that these next 30 minutes, God, just be a time that you would use my words, that everyone in here would receive the word from you, God, that they need to hear. And God, I pray that each and every one of us would walk out of here knowing that we are more than conquerors, that we are overcomers because of what you have done for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Have you ever, how many of you are parents? And, you know, you give maybe your kids Christmas presents or you do stockings. And have you ever had this moment where, I, we, we've done this, right? So your kids are opening their stockings and they're so thrilled. But what's inside of them? They're like, this is amazing. And then, you know, what do they always do? They look around and see what their sibling got, right? Like, what did, what did you get in yours, you know? And it's so often they, they can be so content with what they have and they look at their sibling and be like, oh, oh, I like what you have instead, you know? And because when we compare something, the easiest way to kill something special is to compare it with something else. The easiest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. If you're taking notes today, you can write that down, that the fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. Uh, Pastor Craig Groeschel is a pastor down in Oklahoma City. His church actually developed a Bible app and they gave away for free and millions and millions, tens of millions of people around the world now have access to the Bible because of uh, their church. And here's what Craig Rochelle says. He says that where comparison begins, contentment ends. Where comparison begins, contentment ends. I think that's so true, that in our lives, that we can be at this place of contentment, but then we start to compare what we have, we start to compare our calling, our gifts, whatever it might be, that contentment can end. Where comparison starts, contentment ends. 
And I think it's never been easier in the history of the world to compare ourselves with others. We have social media. It's like you can be having a great day and then you pull up Facebook, you pull up Instagram, and you're like, what? They're out with, with those friends? Why don't you invite me, you know? Or you see your friends on Instagram and, and you're like, wow, she's on her second vacation of the year. It's like, I can't even afford to go to grandma's house. You know, she's on vacation again. You ever have that friend, it's like they're on vacation again and they're posting that picture, you know, of their feet and a book by the pool? Why do people always do that? And so you're watching it, you're like, man, she's at the beach again. And it's like, man, I, I hate your pool. I hate your feet. I hate your book. Like, I'm so jealous of you. And we can be so content until we see maybe what someone else has. It's so easy to lose contentment when we start to compare. Uh, pastor Stephen Furtick, he's a pastor at Elevation Church. We do a lot of their songs here. He says it this way. He says, the problem is we're comparing our behind the scenes with everyone else's highlight reels. See, the problem with comparison is that we know all our struggles. We know our mind and what we're going through and just how hard life is. But we compare our kind of behind the scenes with what people are posting online, which is just our highlight reel. And it's like, well, their family's perfect because that's what the pictures look like. And so we know how messed up we are. We know that we just lost it with our kids and that we're arguing with our spouse again. But the problem is we're comparing our behind the scenes with just their highlight reel. See, we don't know really what's going on in their lives. We don't really know what's going on. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. See, part of the problem is when we start to compare ourselves with others is really it does one of two things. It causes us to either feel superior or inferior. <laughs> when we compare ourselves to others, it's like, oh, wow, thank you, Jesus, that I'm not like them. Oh, they are really messed up. Or, wow, they got a really bad sense of style. Or, you know, whatever it might be. Or we start to feel really inferior. Oh, I don't have a quiet time every morning with my cup of coffee by my Bible and my kids are, you know, leave me alone. <laughs> You're comparing yourself to their highlight reel. And so often, especially on social media, just in life, is that when we compare ourselves, we either feel superior or inferior, and neither honors God. So today, I want to talk about what do we do We living in this world where it's so easy, easier than ever before to compare ourselves to others, our marriages, our parenting, our, our calling, just everything. So how, what do we do with that? And that's what we're going to be diving into today. Uh, Andy Stanley, he's the pastor of North Point Church, he did a, a message on the subject, and he called it living in the land of Ur. Uh, he says that there's no win in comparison. There's no win in comparison. And he said that simply we all want er. You know, we, we don't want to just be rich. We want to be richer than that person. We want to be not just strong. We want to be stronger than that person. Not just fast, but faster than that person. We, we always want to add on this er. We, we, we want to be better than the person next to us. And he said there's no win when we're in comparison. But today we're going to look at uh, a part of scripture that I think is not only powerful, but it's actually hilarious to me. If you've been around Mosaic for a while, you've heard me pull out this story before. Because uh, I just think it's one of the funniest, most petty things that the disciples did. Uh, and so if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to John chapter 20. Uh, you can follow along on the screens as well. We're going to see there's a little bit of conflict between two of Jesus' main disciples, Peter and John. And I, I love Peter and John. Uh, we've talked a lot about Peter and John in the life of Mosaic. They used to be business partners, then they became ministry partners. But there's always this competition between them. I picture them kind of like, like brothers. Uh, a lot of scholars think that Peter is probably the oldest of the disciples, and John is probably the youngest. They're probably the, the largest age gap. And you just look through the Gospels, and it's pretty funny, because they always try to one-up each other. Like John, in his Gospel, he's writing down, he's like, hey, I got to sit next to Jesus, you know, at the Last Supper. And Peter's like, well, 
yeah, but I walked on water with Jesus. And John's like, yeah, but when Jesus is on the cross and he's looking out, he's like, John, take care of my mom. And Peter's like, yeah, well, Jesus said he's going to build his church on me. You know, and you kind of see in their, in their gospels, they're kind of one-upping each other. And I think it's just pretty awesome. I got to be honest. If I had to relate to one of the two, uh, I'd relate way more to Peter than John. That's just kind of my personality. I, I like Peter. He's bold. He's brash. He likes to, to jump in, kind of looking for a leaping. And I think John's a little annoying, okay? And here's why. John refers to himself in the third person. Like, he calls himself the one that Jesus loves, which, first of all, is just kind of annoying. Second of all, if you refer to yourself in the third person, God loves you, but you need a little help, okay? Like, that's weird. Like, if you do that today, you're welcome here, but you need to stop it. Like, that's just ridiculous. Stop talking about yourself in the third person. But John says he's the one that Jesus loved. Like, how audacious is that? I love it. Just like in the Old Testament, Moses, he writes about himself that Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. Like, how bold is that? Like, he talks about himself in that way. I love that. But Emily, we're going to see there's some tension, some competition between Peter and John. Uh, and got, like I said, I think Peter's probably the oldest of the disciples. There's a reason for that. There's John's probably the youngest. So there's some competitions there, the big brother, little brother thing. We're going to look at John chapter 20. And this is just three days after Jesus had died on the cross. He was supposed to be in the tomb, but when Mary got there, the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty. She didn't know what to think. She's like, did someone steal his body? Was he risen again? So Mary went running to the disciples and told them, I went to the tomb, but Jesus wasn't there. And I want you to notice how many times John in his gospel wants us to know that he's faster than Peter, all right? This is amazing. Like, the tomb is empty, Christ is risen, and John wants us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is faster than Peter. Let's read on. Uh, John chapter 20. Now, on the first day of the week, Easter Sunday, Mary Magdalene, came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. How annoying is that? This is John. He's talking about himself. Oh, the one that, whatever. And said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have taken, laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. John is telling us, Jesus is risen, but I'm faster than Peter, right? That's the first time. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came. He was following after me because he's slower than me, right? This is number two. He tells us he's faster and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, this is the third time John is telling us he's faster than Peter, also went in, and he saw and believed. We'll come back to that in a second. Like, how ridiculous is this that John, he's telling us the gospel truth. He's like, I want you to know beyond a shadow of doubt, three times I'm going to tell you that I am faster than Peter. Like, that is just really funny, I think. Well, in the next chapter, we're going to see that they're not sure what to make of this, the fact that Jesus is risen, that he's alive. They don't know what to do. And so one morning, Peter says, hey, we're not sure what to do. Let's go fishing. This is what we know. And so all the other disciples, they follow with Peter, and they're out fishing. And they don't catch any fish all night long. And then this man appears. They don't know who it is, and it's Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, have you tried fishing on the other side of the boat? So they throw their nets over, and, and they take in this huge cast of fish. And they're amazed. They remember this is how when we first met Jesus, he did the same thing. 
It's our Lord. And I love John, you can read it yourself, he makes a point to say that he was the one that recognized him first. John's like, I recognize him first. So Peter jumps in the water and he swims to shore. And what happens next, I think, is the power of this story. Peter has this very powerful encounter. We need to understand the backstory a little bit. That before the crucifixion, before Jesus went to the cross, Peter, like we said, he was very, very bold. He's very bold in his love for you. You know, Peter's the one telling Jesus, hey, I love you. Even if all these other losers are unfaithful to you, I will always be faithful to you, Jesus. I'm always going to have your back. I'm never going to leave you. I'm going to stand before you. Peter's very bold, just implying even that, hey, everyone else is going to run away, but I'm not going to run away. But then while Jesus was being whipped and beaten, this little servant girl comes up to Peter while he's outside watching this happen. He's like, hey, don't you know that Jesus guy? No, no, I've never, I've never seen him before. Three times Peter denies that he even knows Jesus. And the Gospels even tell us that Jesus turns in the middle of getting beaten with a crown of thorns on his head and the blood running down his face. And he makes eye contact with Peter. And immediately Peter's, Peter is filled with this shame and guilt that three times he had denied even knowing Jesus. And so Peter's in this place of shame and guilt. Maybe you've been in there. You're like, man, I've messed up. I'm not good enough. And they run to the tomb. John gets there first, and it's empty, and they're like, what do we do? Then the next day, they're fishing. They see Jesus on the shore, and Peter swims as fast as he can. And I'm sure Peter's heart is pounding. He's like, what is Jesus going to think? I, I, I denied him three times. And, and I love what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't berate him. Jesus doesn't make him feel bad. He doesn't withdraw his love. Jesus makes breakfast for his friends. And how powerful is that? When Peter gets ashore, there's Jesus. He's cooking up some breakfast on, on a fire. And they have this very powerful encounter where three times Jesus asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes. He says, feed my sheep. And the third time, changes it up. Or it's agape love. It's, do you really, truly love me? Peter says, Lord, you know that I do. And I think that was to remind Peter that three days earlier, around a different campfire, he had denied that he even knew Jesus. And for every time that Peter denied him, Jesus asked him, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, you know that I do. Well, here's where we're going to pick up the story in John 21, verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. So Peter and Jesus have this amazing encounter. Peter, do you love me? Yes, you know I do. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Then Peter can't help himself. He's got to compare himself to John. He sees John following them. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? <laughs> like, hello, in this moment, he cares about John. Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, this is basically just saying, hey, if, 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 if it, he stays alive until I come back, what is that to you? <laughs> you follow me. And Jesus' words to Peter is what I want us to to get down today, as Jesus is saying is, as you follow me, you know, your assignment is to follow me. Jesus is basically saying to Peter, stay in your lane. Worry about yourself. I've told you to feed my sheep. That's what you're supposed to do. Feed my sheep. Don't worry about John. Don't worry about what I have for him. This is what I've called you to do. Your assignment, Peter, is to feed my sheep. 
And we see that church history tells us that Peter gave his life crucified upside down for his Savior. John was the last disciple who wasn't killed. But we see that, that Peter, his job was to feed the sheep, to, to, to be the shepherd, to lead the church. And we have to understand that we cannot faithfully follow Jesus if we're always comparing ourselves to somebody else. We can't be who we we're fully called to be if we're always looking over our shoulders saying, well, God, what about them? Well, what, about, what about him, Jesus? What, what are they doing? Where are they going? Why are they getting all the attention? Why are they so blessed? We can never fully follow Jesus if we're comparing ourselves to somebody else. Why is that we do this? I think because of, by nature, we're, we're sinful people. Our sin nature takes us away from the heart of God towards ourselves. We are trying to find some external win to satisfy an internal longing. There's no external accomplishment that can fulfill that longing of our hearts. There's no blessing, no relationship, no amount of money, satisfaction that ever quenches that internal spiritual longing that we have, that desire for, for more. One theologian says that my heart is an idol factory, that I, I always constantly want to bring out more and more things to, to give my heart to that I, I'm trying to, to compare myself to other. We have to understand that living in this land of Ur, there's nothing that's ever going to satisfy that spiritual brokenness inside of us. You can't have enough money. You can't have enough likes, enough followers, enough attention, the right house, the perfect vacation. We can look for satisfaction in all those things, but God has designed us to look simply in one place to find that internal longing, to satisfy what we're looking for. And that's through Jesus Christ and what he's done. And I think what Jesus would tell each and every one of us today, myself included, everyone else, stay in your lane. Don't worry about what everyone else has been called to do. Don't worry about the blessings that God has given them or, 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 or where they are in life. What has God called you to do? And the question is, how are we going to define our worth? If I can get in your business a little bit, some of you are maybe living for what a parent has said or done, and you're trying to earn the affection of your father or your mother or an ex-spouse or someone else, and you're thinking, I'll show them, I'll be successful, I'll be talented, I'll be good-looking. You're living for your friends or whoever them is, and you feel like you got to please others. But the only thing that's going to bring meaning to your life is Jesus. Saying that that is the, the one that we are living for. But we all have to ask, what, what am I living for? What is my value? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says this. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. You know you have a race marked out for you? Each and every one of us, we have a race that we are running. And we need to stay in our lane. We don't need to look at what John is doing, what everyone else is doing. We need to run our race. See, if you run track, the, the, the fastest way to like lose the race or to get off track is to look at what the people next to you are doing. You need to keep your head straight ahead towards the prize. Press on. See, I can't win anyone else's race, but I can run my race. You can't win anyone else's race, but you can run the race that God has for you. You may not build the biggest business, but you can run your business with integrity. You may not have the biggest house, but you can go to your kids' games and invest in your kids, and that's running your race. I don't know 
what the race God has for you. But I believe that each and every one of us, we have a purpose. We have a plan. We have a lane marked out for us. And if we get sidetracked by looking at what everyone else is doing, what God's doing in their lives, we'll lose sight. We, we won't find satisfaction in what Jesus has for us. Instead of saying, you know what, Jesus is going to define my worth. This is who he created me to be. This is the race that he has for me to run. I've got a mission to accomplish, not what someone else has been called to do. I've got a family to raise. I've got a church to build. This is my race. Run your race with perseverance. I think what happens, though, as we run, we get tired, amen? Life is hard. Whether you're a parent or, or, or you wish you were a parent, whether you're married or you wish you were married. And, and if we don't go to the true source, if we don't go to Jesus again and again and again, we're just going to get beaten down and, and we're going to trip and fall and not run the race that God has for us. I encourage you, go to Jesus. Take your eyes off whatever else is doing and focus on what he's called to do. One of the things I want us to do is to start our days with some morning declarations. This is something I'm going to try this week. I want to encourage you to do this. I'm going to email this out on Monday. But have a list of things to say, you know what, when I wake up in the morning, this is what I'm going to tell myself. I'm going to run my race. I'm not going to have my eyes on what other people are doing. I'm going to focus on what God's called me to do. Here's some of the ones I'm going to start doing in my morning. When I wake up, Jesus is first in my life. I exist to serve and glorify him. To wake up and say, I love my wife, and I will lay down my life to serve her. My children will love God and serve him with their whole hearts. I will nurture, equip, train, and empower them to do more for his kingdom than they can imagine. I love people and believe the best about others. That I am anointed, empowered, equipped, and called to reach people far from God. That I am creative, innovative, driven, focused, and blessed beyond measure because the Holy Spirit dwells in me. My words, thoughts, and imaginations are under the power of Christ to take all thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. I wake up with purpose, direction, and meaning every day of my life. The world will be different and better because I serve Jesus today. I want you to come up. What are some of those phrases maybe that you want to hold on to? That Jesus says, this is the race you're running. Maybe it's in regards to your marriage or your parenting or school or the life that God has for you. And today, I want us to go through some, also some things. I think we have that slide. Go ahead and put that up there. Just through scripture, I want us to actually stand and say these together. Would you stand with me? We're going to read this out loud together. This is what scripture tells us. And I think if we're going to be overcomers, if we're going to stay in our lane, if, if we're, if we're going to run the race that God has for us, we have to remind ourselves of who we are. All right, together, let's say this. I am a child of God. I am a spiritual contributor, not a spiritual consumer. I am a faith-filled, life-speaking, fully devoted follower of Christ. I am Christ's ambassador. I am a masterpiece. I am known even before I was born. I am not alone. God is with me. I am fierce in confidence and boldness because God is with me. I am free. 
I am healed. I am unashamed. I invite the band to come up. I am called and equipped to go after the righteous desires God puts in my heart. I am strong. I am named by God, not labeled by man. I am the light of the world. I am mighty in his power. I am more than a conqueror. Do you know this is who you are? In Christ Jesus, you are more than a conqueror. You are a masterpiece. You are known. You are loved. You are free. You are healed. You are mighty. That is who you are because of what Jesus did on the cross. And I think if we can live in light of these truths, if it can sustain us and hold us, we can stay in our lane, we can run the good race. That is my hope and my desire for you, that you will run your race. I don't know what it is for you. You will finish well. You will do what God's called you to do, not what someone else is called to do. And maybe in this season, it's to hold babies and to love them. Maybe in this season, it's to finish school well. Maybe in this season, it's to hold with hope and perseverance and wait for that next step. I don't know what it is for you. But I want you to know that you are an overcomer. You don't have to compare yourselves to others. Band, could we do um, Who You Say I Am again? We're gonna sing the song again. We sing it earlier. But I am who you say I am. I want you to just take these truths down into your hearts. That when we feel like we're unsure of who we are, when we feel like quitting or giving up, we can say, you know what? I am a child of God. I am chosen. I am an overcomer. Because God loved us, because he sent Jesus for us. Would you just close your eyes with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you you are here with us today. God, I thank you that we don't have to compare ourselves to others with how fast we're running our race, but to know that you've called us, you've adopted us, you've chosen us, and through you, we are more than conquerors. So God, I pray right now that someone has come in today, they just feel weak, they feel like giving up. God, that you give them hope Give them strength to go on. God, sustain us with your mighty hands. God, as we sing these words, just fill us with your Holy Spirit. God, just that we could just know that we are loved by you. In your name we pray, amen. We're gonna sing the song together and then we'll do a closing